0: If you're listening to this podcast or other podcasts that you might listen to, it it may have crossed your mind about what it takes to be a guest on a podcast. And my guest today, Spencer Carpenter, is going to help you understand what are the kind of things you need to be thinking about if you're looking at making guesting part of your real estate investing marketing approach or getting your visibility and credibility raised by appearing on podcasts. Spencer had some interesting insights into you know, what you should be looking for in terms of the type of shows, some tools that you can use to help smooth that process through. And keeping what I really took away from chatting with Spencer is not, and he actually uses it in the quote at the, towards the end, the quote that inspires him, not to predetermine what you think a show is looking for, not to assume, but to really be approaching it from a point of value. So I think you're going to find this really interesting uh, opportunity for you to understand what it takes to be on a podcast. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Copkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. All right, Spencer, thanks for joining us today. So we're on a podcast, but we're going to talk about podcasts. I guess, first of all, you know, for the real estate investors and real estate professionals listening, why even be a guest on a podcast? Let's kick off there and then kind of see where the conversation goes.
1: Yeah, so one of the things i like about podcasts versus another type of medium so like any other type of advertising like such as facebook ads or instagram ads or something like that is that the people listening are volunteering to listen and so if you think about any other type of advertising where brands are paying you know like like tv or ads or anything like that you're really trying to grab someone's attention when they weren't planning to give it to you you have to keep their attention you have to get them over to your website or your social media. You need to get them to convert in some way or make a call. And it's all these steps for something that the person wasn't really planning to do. But the cool thing about podcasts is that the listener is volunteering to listen for anywhere from 25 to 45 or 60 minutes. And that com- that's a completely different dynamic than you having to convince somebody to listen to what you have to say. I mean, even as it relates to like a sales call, I could agree and schedule a sales call where I know someone's going to be selling me, but I don't like it. I'm always guarded. You know, I'm always wondering if what they're saying is sincere, if I'm being sold, if they even are, if the deal they're offering me is even really a deal or just part of their sales pitch. But with a podcast, because it's just a conversation between the host and the guest, it's organic. It's not salesy. And you, the listener, is just volunteering versus them having to be coerced. Hmm. And I hadn't considered that
0: way. But you're absolutely right. Uh, And I think sometimes, though, the guest makes the mistake of making it a sales pitch. Absolutely. And and I'm sure you've come across that. And how do you stop yourself from doing that? Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, it's important for a lot of people understand that whether no matter. Or what area of industry you're in or service you're providing, there's someone else out there that also does what you do. And the way you're going to stand out, I mean, there's certainly some services that most people don't know of. And when they hear about it, they realize they need it and you have the great niche to be in. But if you're trying to make yourself stand out, let's just say a real estate agent, there's lots of real estate agents. Lots of people become real estate agents as a job, not because they even care about the industry or the asset class. And so you know, traditionally people would get billboards. They'd be, they would have a threshold on that billboard so that everyone knew that name in their area. And now there are other mediums where people are trying to stand out through social media and that sort of thing. But this is something where you have the ability to express your background, your personality, what drives you, you know, if you're actually passionate about it, why? And You know, that's able to help not just people like realtors, but I work with like financial planners as well. Financial planners are legally obligated to all kind of do the same thing. But I have one in specific that she works with small business owners that are nearing retirement and she helps them get ready to be able to sell that business or be able to run it without them. And so what she explains is there are a lot of people that don't know how to get that process going. They think it'll just happen when it happens. But She was a first-generation immigrant. Her parents came over, I think, from China, and they had an import-export business. And then her dad got terminally ill, and her mom had to take care of him for eight years. And their business wasn't set up to be sold, and their business wasn't set up to run without them. And so she watched her family lose everything because their business wasn't prepared. And so by being able to explain that story to people on podcasts, they now understand why she is the right person for that demographic because she lived it. And so while maybe she's not like passionate about being a financial planner, she is passionate about making sure people don't end up in the same space her parents are in. And it's, I mean, she can tell that story all she wants in one-on-one meetings where she's already been able to get the call. But this gives a really good opportunity for her to explain to people that maybe weren't sure whether or not they needed her service or whether or not they wanted to set up a meeting and they can really get to know her and her background and why this is something she cares about and know that she's going to be truly doing the best she can to help them
0: right and you make a, a really good point is you've got that 25 to 40 to even 60 minutes to do that versus it being you know a 60 second instagram video or something where you're trying to get some first of all get some as you mentioned get somebody's attention and then try to get them to take some kind of action and
1: I mean, I I can't remember what the cost is, but think about how much brands pay for a thirty second ad on any type of primetime television. Let alone something like the Super Bowl. I mean, if they had the opportunity to keep someone's attention for twenty five or forty five minutes, imagine how much they would be paying for that. And so that's I know that we're not on podcasts where we're getting in front of millions and millions of people, but I like to look at that you know through that lens. Right. So when you, so somebody listening to this, a real estate investor.
0: Thinking, okay, I, you know, I'd like to be on podcasts. What are the first things that you recommend they do from kind of looking at, because there's what, I don't know what the number is. I'm guessing four and a half million podcasts out there. And I know for a fact that there's a lot, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of real estate podcasts. So what is the first thing that you know, somebody should be doing if they're thinking about being a guest on a podcast?
1: Off the bat, don't think that you can go into a pitch just saying, I can talk about multifamily real estate investing. I can talk about marketing. I can talk about sales. Now, you have to figure out what your unique value proposition is, what your angle of attack is that might be unique. I mean, sometimes what you're doing on the business end of investing isn't special, but it does come back to, again, that backstory, You know what it is you can provide that's going to motivate the listener, add some value to them. Other times, you are doing something that's a little bit unique. Whether it be you've figured out how to, you know, on your large multi investments, they're being able to cut down the cost by ordering in bulk from, you know, a good contact in Taiwan or something like that for their materials, rather than just going through, you know, a bulk account through Home Depot or something like that. I won't pretend I know all the construction, like the best ways to do the construction, but that's something that a current client of mine has been able to bring up is how they are able to decrease their costs using that strategy. And so I think that it, just being able to figure out what it is you have to bring to the table is important. Now, I will say there are a lot of real estate investing podcasts and sometimes just being able to say, this is my experience is going to be enough to get a conversation with a host that either you're familiar with or you know, that maybe knows you or that just sometimes needs a new guest in their queue. You know, some shows are booked out four weeks and some shows are booked out 12 weeks. You know, you never know where they are at in their scheduling process, but being able to explain why you should be on the show versus anybody else is important. And so that's what I work with a lot of my clients to figure out because they've written their bio for LinkedIn or their website or something like that. And it's meant to be oftentimes kind of fluffed up for investors to look at, for potential clients to see. But I like to take that fluff out and get straight to what value can be provided to, you know, the listener more so than anybody else that is pitching that week. Right. How easy
0: is it to find out if it's even the right podcast for you as a guest from an audience perspective, perhaps? I mean, maybe if you're a real estate investor, you don't want to be on other real estate investing podcasts. It might be, I don't know, something more, maybe, maybe it's, you know, you want to focus on a particular city and you want to get onto different podcasts in a city, you know, it's kind of a thought or something. How do you find out what a a podcast audience
1: takes? So obviously, unless the host has some sort of way of gauging who their audience is, maybe they have a community, so they kind of have an idea of who their audience is. I don't like to have people try and quantify each individual interview in that way, because let's just say you don't get any leads from the interview. But off the bat, anybody, everybody wants an investor or lead to come in. That's the ultimate goal. Even though they're not selling, they're just, they are there to provide knowledge. Everyone hopes that's going to be the goal, but let's just strip that away. At the end of the day, what you were still able to get out of it is a one-on-one conversation with a host who could be a potential referral source or potential customer themselves or investor. I mean, there are lots of podcasts with syndicators that invest in other syndicators' deals. Mm. So off the bat, that, they could be a referral source, they could be a testimonial source, they could be a potential client, they could be a potential investor themselves. So there's that as a baseline. They could also be someone that introduces you to another show, another investor, anything like that. Just keep your marketing going. But it's also amazing for things like SEO. It's amazing for having content that can be repurposed that wasn't you holding a phone up in front of your face, which I don't know, to me never comes off authentic. It never, I don't know, there's, to me, I think I would never want to create content that way. I would rather go out on podcasts where, you know, you're engaging me and I'm engaging you and we get to have a conversation. And so I think that if you look at every interview, just as the time invested was maybe just building content instead of, you know, you were out there trying to monetize it. You get that at the end of the day, no matter what. Obviously, there are some people whose schedules do not allow for them to be on every podcast possible just so that they can create more content and have more conversations. Some people do need to be more selective just because of their availability. But I don't think that people should hold themselves to, I can only be on the top 10 biggest podcasts because that's silly. It's hard. Even if you get all of them, that means you're done. You can't do any more now. You should still be getting out there. And so- being on a real estate podcast, obviously, for credibility purposes, is going to be good for SEO. If nothing else, they're also that potential referral source. But if you are in a niche where you are want to be in front of doctors or lawyers or dentists or something like that, there are podcasts out there in just about every niche. And you can go and try and find it. One, if there are shows that are just focused on investing for those people, because usually there are. They're a little more limited. They're not nearly as many as there are in the real estate space, but you might also be able to convince a show to have you on, even if their focus isn't investing. You know, back to the financial planner, I had a financial planner that focused on dental students because dental school can range from two hundred dollars to $500,000 and they don't teach a single course on running businesses or right. accounting or anything like that. I mean, we talk about how bad college is in general for young people, dental school, even worse, because a lot of dentists don't go to just get a job at a practice like a doctor. Most do it to then go and open their own practice. And so he helps those people get in, but he helps them figure out how to better, best manage their loans and that sort of thing. And so we were able to get him onto shows that were just generally about being a dental student, not investing at all, because he was able to provide them information that was going to help them. And so, I mean, there are also certainly shows out there that understand if you are coming to them as a real estate investor and you say, I help so-and-so do this, they're like, oh, well, you know, we know that you're going to get something out of this. We know that you're coming to our people for money, but if you can show them why it's valuable regardless, then they might still be open to having you on. Right. And what are the kind of things that you suggest your
0: clients pull together in terms of, you know? You're going to send an email or you're going to make a phone call to that host. But what, what other things do you suggest that your clients pull together or somebody pulls together to put that pitch or to make sure that you've got more chance of getting booked?
1: Yeah. So obviously you want to include any type of social media link you have. I usually put that at the bottom of my pitch, you know, here's their website, all their social media. If you have a significant number of followers, I also add that as a little note, if you've done any type of press. If you've done other interviews, links to that, if you've won some type of award, if you're a part of different groups, even outside of investing, like if it's not real estate related at all, if you've run ultra marathons, things like that, that is all good to add for like the more about section of I I definitely like to try and keep bios to one to two paragraphs, two paragraphs. If there is significant information from your past, that is important for the context of where you are now. If mainly what you just have to talk about is being an investor and what you've done, you can keep that in one bio. But the most important thing I think is the first paragraph of the pitch should just be explaining what value you can bring. And so I don't say, hey, I would like so-and-so to be on this show. Here's his whole bio. I actually lead it off with, you know, I help my clients determine again what those value proposition are. And that's a different section. You know, here's topics they can talk about but I take the two or three best topics from that. And that's my first sentence of the pitch is, you know, this person can be on the show to discuss topic one, topic two, topic three. And then I go into the bio. And the reason I do this is because some bios are longer than others. Some people are busier than others. But if you can tell them off the bat why you should be on the show, they're more likely to read the rest. If you start them off with your whole backstory, And then they have to read all the way down to understand why you should be on the show. You might lose interest. You might get them at the wrong time. They're busy. You know, they forgot it. They didn't remember later on because you didn't captivate them first time through. And so, you know, it's great if you are, you know, if one of your biggest accomplishments is being a father and you love coaching Little League and you love spending time with your family, but it's not helpful in the investing podcast. There are podcasts out there about fatherhood and holistic living and making sure, you know, you're not just focused on money, but living a good life that can play into something like that. But if your focus is to get on a podcast about investing, to talk about those things, it's not helpful in that exact moment. And so I actually, when I read people's bios, I cut all that stuff out. I want it to be concise, as concise as possible. And again, that can be added to the more about section, you know? you can bullet point. And here's more things about my personality. You played lacrosse in college and you coach it now, you know, for your son's team, you can talk about all of your community giving and that sort of thing. There are times, but you need to catch their attention early on and say what value you're going to bring so that they care to read the rest of the email.
0: Right. And uh, speaking as a host and who gets, as you can probably imagine, gets pitched fairly frequently, (laughs) at least once or twice a day sometimes. Making it easy for the host is actually a big plus I mean to me, because if I receive something that is I'm not quite sure what they're what they're about or what value they exactly as you said what value they're gonna to bring to the show, am I gonna spend the time digging a little bit deeper, having a look at their social media profiles, looking at what they're doing, looking at their website even or am I just gonna go next and Unfortunately, anybody listening to this most of the time it's next because. There are enough people out there looking to be guests on podcasts and, you know, it's you get a one hit chance.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, there are plenty of podcasts out there that are starting off that will, If you fall into their industry at all, they're happy. But if you want to be able to get yourself onto a more established podcast, they've they've likely elevated the criteria for their guest. It doesn't mean that someone doesn't fit into it. But you have to know how to convey that to the host. Right. And that's, what I, that's essentially what I really help my clients do. Right. Now, I noticed on your website, you've got some of your
0: clients on some pretty big podcasts. I mean, I noticed Pat Flynn, you got on there, the, the Bigger Pockets podcast, which a lot of people listening would know. What are the sort of approaches if you are going to go to, you know, aim big and go for those bigger shows? Or is it better to get a few... Good interviews under your belt before you go and pitch somebody like a Pat Flynn or the bigger pockets.
1: You definitely want to have done a few just so that you're comfortable doing it, especially if you haven't done it before. If you, if someone has any type of, you know, speaking fear, but they know that they need to be a part, there are definitely people, this is an industry of people that are trying to push themselves forward. So I feel like most can get it comfortable, but there are definitely people that are like, I know that I need to do this, even though it makes me uncomfortable. So Going and doing a few podcasts first just to get comfortable with it is going to be definitely beneficial if you are able to land those bigger shows. But not to say that people can't do it themselves, but it does take a lot of time and follow up and knowing what that person, what that host is looking for and doing a little bit of research as to what it is that they bring. Man, obviously I tell every single person, you're not getting on Joe Rogan. But there, every now and again, there's still that person be like, yeah, it'd be awesome if I could. I'm like, yeah, it would. But what makes you think that would ever happen? He doesn't talk about business. He doesn't talk about investing. That's not what's interesting to him. So why do you think even, why does that thought even cross your mind? And I think that it's just, it's important for people to understand, you know, be willing to put in that effort to understand what it is that a host might be looking for before they consider like, I want to be on that show. And, you know, yeah, I I had a couple of clients on Pat Flynn. And I think what was able, part of the reason that was able to happen is because those clients had taken his course when they started their business. That was definitely one of the leading things I was able to go with. And, but even then, from the time I got a first email back from Pat Flynn's team to the day we actually booked the interview was exactly 365 days. That's how long it took just to get that one interview done. And so, especially going into those bigger ones, it takes a lot of time. It takes persistence. It takes understanding what it is they want. And it also takes it fitting into their schedule and what they're looking for. Those bigger shows are a little more, there are definitely some that just take it week by week. This is what I want to talk about. That one, and specifically, they're like, this year, we are focusing on community building. That's how my team fit That's how my clients fit into it. And so- You know, there's a lot that goes into to things like that. And I mean, I just had a client on the Motley Fool money podcast this week. That was after 20 pitches that they didn't respond to at all of different clients. It took refining, trying to figure out what is it? How do I crack this code? Because I know they're having guests on every single week. So people are getting them on there. How do I get mine on there? And so it can take time for sure. And For a lot of the people building their business, it's time they don't really have and it's expertise that their assistant or their VA or something likely isn't going to have either. So, you know, there's that's not to say people need someone like me to be on. That's definitely not true. But, you know, understand what types of shows you're going to get, you know, based on where you're at in your career and the time you can put into it.
0: I think you've kind of highlighted the importance or the value of having somebody like yourself is it's extremely time-consuming and it's you know i'm surprised how many people pitched me directly and well i mean a couple of bad things that i've seen they don't even address the email to me it's just high so i think immediately i'm thinking copy and paste yeah has to be and then they either haven't listened to the show or don't know what it's about or they're they've made a whole bunch of assumptions with no research and no background. right? And that's equally. So from a marketing perspective and putting yourself forward, I used to do a lot of pre-COVID, you used to do a lot of public speaking and typically you would have a speaker sheet or a one sheet. Do you suggest the same sort of thing for a podcast guest? Is that the kind of thing or?
1: I think all there are only a few people that do what I do. I think they all use one sheets. PR companies use one sheets. I don't because I was in music for 15 years and yeah. I had hundreds of bands send me a one sheet and it was either poorly designed or the text is in red and I don't wanna read it that way or they'll list their Instagram and links and I can't click it. It doesn't take me anywhere. I have to copy and paste it. For you as a host, if I submitted you a bio, but it is in PDF format, but for some reason you can't copy and paste it, is that helpful to you? No, absolutely not. no. So I just like it to be right there. Also, I mean, because I send a lot of emails, Having to attach it each time is time consuming. But even further, I think that with outreach and email, like Google looking at that, they don't want to see you attaching a bunch of things. So I, I choose not to do it that way. I'm like, here's the email. You're already reading it. You already opened it. There's all the info. And here's the links. That, that's just the way I do it. I've never actually had a PR person tell me why they choose a one sheet other than it looks aesthetically pleasing when it's done well. But, you know, I've been able to book over 800 interviews in the last three years without a one sheet. So I don't think it matters a whole lot. Interesting perspective. Yeah. I, I hear you
0: on the, the attachments because I've heard that Google is getting pretty, clamping down pretty hard on emails that have something attached. And if it's a sizable file with images. Yeah.
1: And I'm already including usually a lot of links, which is right. also a bad flag, you know, a red flag to them. So I'm like, I if I can cut out at least one thing, that's helpful. So... That's specific to me, but you know, it, taking it to the listener, if you're going to have an assistant or a VA reach out to a hundred shows, they're going to encounter the same problem and their email might get blocked. Their email might go to spam. And so I just choose to do it via you know, normal body of the email.
0: And I,
1: I kind of touched on some of the
0: things that have not impressed me. What are the mistakes that people make? What kind of things do you
1: kind of put up? What would you say?
0: Definitely do not do this.
1: At the end of the day, if someone's going to say no to you, then it's already, you already didn't lose out on something, but it, you know, there's just certain things that are courteous, you know, to your point, getting the name correct of the show and you as host. Look, I'll be the first to say, I've sent tens of thousands of emails, even before what I'm doing now, you know, an outreach for when I was in music. I've definitely messed it up sometimes. And I go in and I apologize if that's the case. But it is it is truly embarrassing when I have pitched someone to a show not realizing they don't have guests. And right. sometimes it takes extra step. They're, not every podcast puts a guest name in the title. So it's not you'll sometimes have to go digging a little bit, a step down. You have to go read the show notes. And then you're like, wait, did they just do a solo podcast or do they never have guests? Sometimes I scroll down seven podcasts and saw, wait, they do have guests. It's just selective. So mm-hmm. I can still reach out to them. And every podcast is done differently. I mean, but again, at the end of the day, if you reach out to a show that doesn't have guests, well, they were never going to be, they were never going to say yes. So you didn't really lose anything. You just kind of pissed off this host or made them annoyed or something like that. But I mean, I acknowledge my mistakes when I make them, which isn't that often, but I say sorry. And I just definitely think that trying to just get the attention of a host with a long bio that doesn't explain what you're doing, that includes things that aren't necessary, is it just isn't helpful. I think the best thing you can do is really just get to the point of what you can provide. And at that point, you know, I do have clients that have done a lot. Their bios are long for a reason, but I have to lead off with the value they're going to bring on the front end. And that's what's the most important thing is. Right. Good point. And you mentioned the music
0: industry. What have you been able to take from the music industry and apply? to this? Do you see a lot of similarities? Have you seen a lot of similarities? And what do you do differently that maybe you thought was going to work for the music industry and then didn't transpose?
1: Yeah. So I started off booking concerts when I was 15. I scaled up to doing multi-day music conferences and festivals, and I did some record label stuff. But I started off, the thing I really wanted to do was tour book. And so I was, getting, I was reaching out to promoters all across the country, trying to convince them to book, to put up money. Not just for my artists, but for to open a venue and pay a sound guy and stuff for bands that either were small or they had never heard of. And I had to negotiate all that. This is actually way easier (laughs) because that's a simple (laughs) yes or no. Either you want them or you don't, but there's no monetary exchange, which at least in most cases. So I, I was always, that's why I was able to kind of just go right into this. I kind of knew what it was I was doing. And I figured there's enough podcasts out there that with enough email sent, I'll be able to satisfy the needs of a client. The thing that, you know, is a little bit different. I'm sorry, that I was able to carry over was like, I had a boss and I'd be like, hey, this band has an off date between Ohio and New York. Do you think that, you know, should I send them an email? He's like, they're never going to say yes. I'm like, yeah, but what if they really need money? Like, I'm going to try anyway. The agent can tell me no. And I do the same thing on the podcast front. You know, I've definitely learned not to shoot my shot for someone that's not a right fit that either is going to make me look less credible or, you know, make the guest look less credible, but you really never know. And so as it relates, okay, let's go back to the real estate side. There are plenty of shows that in the title of the show says multifamily. But if I have an experienced flipper that's done hundreds of deals, I've had plenty of multifamily hosts bring that person on. I've had those hosts bring on people in oil. I've had people, them bring in people in land, you know, wholesaling. I do not assume I know what you want just based on the description of your podcast and the guests you've had on. That, that is one of the, I really wish this question was appreciated more by some hosts, but sometimes they'll say no to a guest. And I say, do you mind telling me what your current criteria is? Because also looking at your past guests doesn't tell me what you're looking for in the future. And so I have, I, there have been a lot of hosts where, I, you know, i ask that question. They say, why don't you look at my past guests? Which I understand from a host perspective, they're thinking I didn't do the research. Really, it's just, I'm not going to assume I know what you want. Right. You know, there, there could be something you're looking for that is out of your normal, your normal criteria. And I might have somebody for that because I represent dozens of entrepreneurs and investors. So that is, I actually, I'm losing track of what it is you asked. I'm sorry. No, no, (laughs) yeah.
0: yeah, So yeah, it sounds like you have learned or taken the lessons from the music industry and been able to apply it in ways that probably other people would just Oh, no, there's no way because...
1: Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I'm just willing to take a chance and and get the no. I'm okay with a no. Just tell me no. (laughs) But I'm going to ask first, you know? And every now and again, I've had people that were not really... That shouldn't have been on a show otherwise, but I was able to intrigue the host because I just didn't assume I know what they wanted. Right. Now, you mentioned monetary. Are there times when it
0: money does exchange hands in terms of being a guest on a podcast? And should you or shouldn't
1: you do that? I've never had a guest be paid to be on a podcast. There are certainly some podcasts out there that know what they have in terms of, they know we have really engaged listeners. We have listeners that engage our guests. So they go and invest money with them. They buy their products. So there are some people that have turned their podcast into more of a business and they do charge for that. In those examples, you and know, when that happens, I'll, if I think a show is a good fit for a guest, I will go and tell them, this is an option. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm saying, this is a show that has has ch- decides to charge because they know they have a good reach. And if you want to be on that, you can. There are also shows that sometimes say like it's a hundred dollars to be on my show, and I'm like, well, you're brand new. I'm not, I would rather my client pay x amount of thousands of dollars to be on this established show than pay a hundred dollars to be on yours because you want to monetize your podcast as a business that you have not built up. Right. And so, you know, it just. Take it case by case. Don't be offended by the pay to play move. It's every podcast is someone's hobby or side hustle or business, and everyone's able to, is allowed to run it how they want. So I don't get offended if someone tells me that they would want my client to pay. I just tell them no, if that's the case or yes, if that is the case, but 99.99999% of podcasts do not charge. And it's just you if you as long as you're able to bring value and you're willing to commit to elevating the host with your network and promoting it, it's a fair it's a fair trade. Do you find a lot of guests don't do that though? They say
0: they're going to. And I'm just thinking of it, you know, in my own case, but also people I know who have podcasts, you know, the guest says, Yes, I'm gonna promote it and then you never see anything on social media, you never see them mention it. And, and any sense why that ends up being the
1: case because you've all, you've both gone to the trouble of doing it and- there is there's fault on both sides from what i've seen uh, okay. there i would say 95% of shows do not notify me when the episode goes live hmm. and so Wait, really and okay. it's as basic i mean there are very basic scheduling tools out there that don't require a va that don't require full infrastructure just to let the guest know The episode has gone live. Even if you're not going to create graphics, you're not going to do the video stuff. Just basic. Here's a bit.ly, a shortened link to let the person know most shows don't do that. And so that's the first fault. Then taking a step further, if you're not going to provide them with something to post with, it's just it's more both sides need to look at it like, how can I make this easy for the other person? You. And so from my side, it's how do I make it easy for the host to say yes. And from the host side, it's how do I make it easy for the person to post about it and, so, and promote it. And so off the bat, if you don't notify them, th- that's the ball dropped. If you're not going to give them anything, it's a missed opportunity. I'm not going to say it's a ball drop because not every podcast is set up to be able to pay for that yet. I get that part, which is why I do provide graphics for my clients that are, that are very standardized that they can promote every interview if nothing else. But, you know, it, the same thing about, about helping grow the show. Hosts don't ask, oftentimes. their guests to go leave a five-star review. I see shows that have done hundreds of interviews and have 25-star reviews. And sometimes it's just the guests being lazy, for sure. There are definitely people that do announce the episode has come out, but they, and they put it in their email, please go leave a five-star review. But I actually suggest to every host that will listen When On your Calendly link or on your scheduling link, have a little checkbox that says, I agree to go leave a five-star review, and I will ask two of my colleagues or employees or family or friends or somebody to do the same. Hmm. Not everyone's going to do it, but that's an easy way to get one person to give you three five-star reviews on your podcast. And for some reason, I've never seen anyone do that. They've Good said, they, there is a checkbox saying like, I, I do agree to promote it, but that's the most basic thing. Even if they're not going to promote it, if you can get them to leave the five-star review. And I think that's also something that if you, again, if you've done 600 interviews, but you only have a hundred five-star reviews, well, there's 500 guests out there that didn't do it. You should create an email list and every three months say, Hey, just a reminder, you were on the show. Would you mind giving us a review? And you're going to hit some people over and over because you don't know who did. I think every show should be doing that. Every quarter. If you if your number of episodes don't match up to your number of reviews, you should be just hitting those people up every month and or every few months. And that could also be how you're funneling more business into, you know, however it is you're monetizing being a host of the podcast. Right. So I'm gonna go after we finish, I'm gonna go check mine because I'm sure I'm not the same number. I'm pretty I might be
0: close, but maybe not like certainly not matching. That's it. That's two great two great tips. What about other tools that people can use to make this kind of process easier for themselves and kind of getting booked? And...
1: Yeah, off the bat, podmatch.com. Podmatch is, I think that's how we got connected. It's a great tool for someone that just wants to do this themselves or wants to dedicate the resource of their assistant or a VA because it's there to match guest with host. And it gives you, it prompts you on what to write about yourself and what to provide people. All those things I said, I put into an email. Essentially, Podmatch does it on an online platform for you. And they even take it a little bit further and like, here are s- suggested questions you know, for the hosts and things like that. And so that's a great resource for anybody that's just trying to dip their toes into it without you know, spending a lot of money, without spending a lot of time, without having to go and do the research of building a database of shows. If you do want to take it a little step further and try and do some more research and stuff like that, you know, I use podcast wise as a way to find new shows, but that does that they're not going to do the outreach. You also don't know if the email that's included there is the correct one. You don't know if they want guests, you don't know if they're sometimes you don't even know if they're active still. So, you know, it's not a perfect tool, but that is how you could dedicate resources within your within your infrastructure to to Do that sort of thing, but I mean, that's a matter of is your assistant sitting around doing nothing else? That's better suited. Are you doing nothing else? That's better suited. You know, I always look at this like any type of real estate investor or finance person. Their time is probably better suited on getting that next deal or the next that next high quality client. So, okay, yeah, those are good suggestions, and I think yeah,
0: pop matches such so well put together. it really does make things a lot easier. And yeah, from a host and a guest perspective. So a couple of questions I like to ask a guest before we kind of wrap up and let people know where they can reach you. Favorite personal brand, who
1: who are you inspired by or enjoy? I mean, obviously I like people like Gary V. He just seems like a cool guy. You know, outside of like entrepreneurship and marketing, I love Will Dickey, the hip hop artist. He's, he's like this guy that has created like a whole comedy persona around doing hip hop. Which is translating to him only putting out one album years ago, but now has a three-season show on Net on FX. It's actually really annoying because he puts all the effort into the show now instead of the music, and he hasn't put out music in years. But yeah, <laughs> it's he, it's because he's been able to build up this whole this whole like persona around himself, and that is mixed with comedy. And I really enjoy that from an entertainment purpose. I don't really know if he looks at it like a brand, but that. Right. I listened to your interview. Like I it. listened to an interview earlier today. I'm like, man, I don't know. And the first thing that came to mind was him. Right. Okay. No, I, like
0: I guess you might have picked somebody from the music industry. That makes sense. What about a favorite business podcast
1: or book? I mean, Bigger Pockets is kind of how I got here. You know, it started with me listening to all these people give amazing information and then realizing like they're not celebrities like Mark Cuban or Richard Branson. I thought it was silly that entrepreneurs, and investors and business professionals aren't looked at like talent. So that's kind of how I decided to start this. But I've learned so much, not just about real estate and investing, but just you know, how to build a business, how to build a business with a partner, just the creativity. Also, that ability to not be scared to ask a question or to get that no from someone. There, There are so many stories out there about deals that would have never happened if they didn't ask a silly question at one point. Right. Okay. And what about a favorite
0: or a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment?
1: I'm definitely not at the forefront of uh, of the latest gadgets. I've been trying to teach myself how to better prompt things like mid-journey and chat GPT, but most of my businesses just run on Gmail and Gmail tools. Right. Okay, cool. I, that works though. I mean, it works. So it works. Thing. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires or motivates you? You're not predetermined, you're self-determined. I don't know who said that. My boss said it to me at one point. I don't know. I don't know if it's from someone else, but just a reminder that, you know, whatever your circumstances were doesn't mean that's what it has to be. And I think that
0: underlines some of the insights that you've shared today, because it's kind of, you're not, you're not pre-assuming what a host wants. What you're saying is, this is the value we can bring. It's And then it's a yes or an no. And,
1: yeah, and, uh, yeah.
0: Either answer is fine. Just give me an answer, I guess, would be the, yeah, yeah. what you're probably wanting to hear. Now, I will say to the the listeners, Spencer took the time to listen to at least one of my episodes, and he also recognized that one of my earlier guests fairly recently also did podcasts, well, podcast productions. But I do want to kind of stress that Spencer also does that. You, You help people launch podcasts and also podcast production. So how can people find out more about you and then obviously also your guesting services?
1: Yeah, so we're just, outlieraudio.com dot is the website. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram under Spencer Carpenter. Instagram for the business is Outlier Audio. That's where you can just got, kind of go see some of the shows we've had people on, some of our clients. But you know, I'd love to just connect. You know, I can give. If you're already in the process of tr- pitching yourself, I'm happy to give feedback. If you know, if you schedule a call with me, it's not a sales call. It's off the bat just to figure out whether or not it's the right fit. Not everybody is. Not every. I'm very honest in whether or not I think people need my service or need someone like me. So yeah, I'd love to connect and just find out if this is something that can be helpful to you, can supplement what you're doing. If it's if you're getting ready to have a capital raise, it's good for things like that. So yeah, I'd love to connect. That's a good point. Yeah. Very good point. Okay. Well, make sure all
0: of that is in the show notes. And Spencer, thanks for sharing your insights today and have a brandtastic day. Thanks for having me, Paul. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic day.